In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition, which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. My name's Hunter Mulcair. And I'm Amy Donaldson. So we are recording this on the 5th of October 2020, and recent events had us cause to think about a really interesting and complex set of emotions. There was a set of events causing many people to have a strange set of complex feelings over the weekend, and it was probably one of the largest ever simultaneous incidents of this, and a lot of people have felt a little uncomfortable about their reaction. As emotions are kind of our thing, we wanted to have a two shrinks pod discussion about these feelings. What are they? What's the theories about where they come from? And is it okay? So we're gonna play you a clip that we put together and then we're gonna go from there. We begin the hour with a horrifying statistic. The United States has now registered 200,000, 200,000 coronavirus deaths. Dr. Anthony Fauci this morning in an interview with Dr. Sanjay Gupta calls that milestone sobering and stunning. But it affects virtually nobody. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. I Just wear masks when needed. When needed, I wear masks. Okay, let me ask. I don't, have to, I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking 200 feet away from it. He shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. This stunning news, the President of the United States now confirming to the world that he and the First Lady of the, of the United States have both tested positive for the coronavirus and they will quarantine. All right, Peter, thank you. Again, we're looking at Marine One on the south lawn of the White House, expecting President Trump to come out shortly to be flown to Walter Reed uh, National Military Medical Center in Bethesda. So those clips, of course, the news footage discussing the coronavirus crisis in the United States, followed by President Trump claiming that the virus affects virtually nobody. Then subsequently, he, the clip was him mocking Joe Biden in the presidential debate uh, that we had just last week. And then two days later, the president was announcing that he had coronavirus. And then a couple of days later, he was airlifted or medevaced to hospital for mm. treatment. The feeling that many people have had to this is what's known as schadenfreude. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Which is pleasure in others' misfortunes. Given that most people over the last four or so years have been aghast at the behavior of Donald Trump towards his own citizens towards those people who aren't white, aren't rich, aren't male, who don't vote Republican, who are educated, who are follow science or common sense or morality. It has come quite a shock to most people that they might feel positive feelings that he is now sick or has fallen ill to coronavirus. So this is what we wanted to talk about because it's a really interesting feeling. How did you find out, Amy, or what was your response or others' responses around? So I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw a piece that was saying that he may have it because he'd been exposed to someone else who'd been diagnosed with it. And then I was still scrolling and reading things when I then saw someone retweet his tweet saying that he tested positive. I was with family and I think they were quite surprised that I definitely experienced the Schadenfreude because I think my 
persona in the family is like, oh, Amy's the one who looks after everyone. Like she's the compassionate one or the one that goes, hang on, have you thought about what Mm -hmm, mm so-and-so was going through? And I was sitting here having a good chuckle on the couch about this. So I think that it was quite surprising and felt out of character to the people around me. And then I felt like I had to justify why it was that I was feeling this feeling. Mm, mm. How about you? I think, did, I think you texted me and told I me. Yeah. Cause uh, I knew that you would feel similarly. And, and yeah. And if, and if anyone has know. followed my Twitter feed, I, I have opinions about yeah. politics and yeah. So I think I had a mixture of shock and this like schadenfreude. And, you know, I, I work as a cancer psychologist, right? I, I've seen a lot of suffering from physical illness in my, in my day job. I've seen it in my personal life as well. Yeah. And I genuinely don't want people to feel sick, suffer. Um, no, of course not. Because I've seen the worst, right? And it is sort of interesting to sort of then kind of have this, have a, some set of positive emotions around that and kind of go, you know, what's that about? And uh, I was sitting, it was a warm, very warm day here in Melbourne. That we're now allowed to have picnics in the park <laughs> because we've been under lockdown and that's a new thing that we are now allowed to do. And I heard someone else in the park go, oh my God, Trump's got COVID. <laughs> and there was a sort of snickers or laughter or something, even though a bit further away, but it was quite clear that it was a reaction. It was a real mm. reaction. So, you know... And I, th- I think that what you described, that shock, laughter, then followed by a sort of an old shit. And then like a tampon, the, dampening it down and kind of like... That pattern. Yeah, it's sort of... Yeah. have expressed. Yeah. So, it's been a bit... It's. I think we're trying to get at this as lay people, trying to... Mm. I mean, yes, we're professionals, blah, blah, blah. But really, you know, we psychologists, we do actually have emotions and... <laughs> and introspection has been one of the ways that psychologists have often taught themselves about emotions and things like that. What's interesting is that these positive feelings have been, particularly by subsequent actions, has turned to more disbelief and rage and and, and anger. The footage today, which will now be historic footage, was of the president with a highly contagious virus going for a drive outside the hospital um, in a sealed car yeah and, and exposing everybody people. and I, I can and i can assure you that covid patients worldwide are not allowed to just go out because they're bored anyway i mean there's a whole lot of other other behavior that is just immensely frustrating we're not going to get into that so much what we're going to do is we're going to talk about schadenfreude amy mm-hmm. can you tell us what it is As you may guess from the sound of it, it's a German phrase that describes the feeling of pleasure at another's misfortune. And so some of the examples, you know, it's what we've talked about with Trump, but then it's also things like driving and seeing that there's a traffic jam in the oncoming traffic and feeling satisfied that you're not one of the ones stuck in that traffic. Or, you know, a colleague gets a promotion and you don't think they deserve it. And then subsequently they're made redundant and you feel that (laughs) kind of feeling. For kids, I found an article that was talking about how kids watch a movie and when they see the villain getting caught making some sort of stupid mistake, they feel this same emotion and have a good cackle. (laughs) It's that feeling. So a core feature of it is that it's passive. You haven't caused the problem. So you're not harming someone else and then enjoying the harm. And it's often a relatively minor misfortune. 
It's different from sadism, which is active and pain-focused. That's about taking deliberate pleasure from someone else's pain and sometimes that you've caused that pain. I saw one article that was sort of defining it as sadism is a sort of behavioural active thing and schadenfreude is an emotional response. The thing that's interesting is that they're kind of linked in that for people who don't have higher sadism, so they don't get enjoyment from other people's pain, there's a line where it stops being enjoyable where it's no longer okay. And so that's what we were talking about with that sort of suffering, where probably, you know, there's been an element of enjoyment of the Trump stuff at the start, and then it's been the, oh, shit, is he really sick? What is happening here? What does this mean? Mm. How serious is this? Yeah, I mean... So that's the difference. Yeah, like, I don't like the guy, but him, from a person-to-person thing, like him being sick... Like I sort of said, you know, I don't wish ill on anybody. I also don't think that he's going to learn from his thing. And I don't think that any of his cohort of ne'er-do-wells are going to learn uh, anything meaningful from it. So, I mean, there's no benefit in that. And I don't think it will cause meaningful change in health or in any of those kind of things in the states no no clear, it clearly hasn't because there's people no. without masks out out the front so but if you did enjoy that then that would be sort of sadistic you know you're, mm. you're enjoying someone's pain think Hannibal Lecter or any kind of two-dimensional villain mm, exactly um, all right so why do we feel this emotion what are the theories behind it you're going to kick us off with the first aspect yeah we're going to mention three or three or four ways of thinking about this emotion but the key concept in psychology that applies in this situation is what we call appraisal so it's an appraisal of a situation so two people can view the same event and have a different emotional reaction how's that possible it's because you internalize and you appraise a situation differently in cancer in the cancer world people have different responses to a cancer diagnosis, right? Mm. It might be the same, objectively the same disease, and some people might say, I'm going to be fine. Other people are going to go, oh my God, I'm going to die, and a whole lot of variation in between. How is that possible? It's the appraisal. And so as a psychologist, you often ask, okay, so when that happened, what went through your head at that moment? Right. Like how what, did you make sense of that? Yeah, how did you make sense of that, right? You know, we would identify what the feeling was, but what we would really want to know is we wouldn't say, why did you have that feeling? You'd say, well, what was going through your head, mm. which is really why. And so it's how you interpret it. And there's a whole lot of theories around stress and coping and the way in which you enact a coping response to a stressful situation depends on your appraisal of it. Mm. There's a Folkman, Folkman and Greer, Lazarus and Folkman, Lazarus. I may have referenced a lot of these articles in my doctoral thesis. Anyway, <laughs> so it's so, useful in so many contexts. Yeah, that's it. So, so, but it is it is in health psychology. It's the key theory. Mm. So, and it's probably the the theory that distinguishes health psychologists from clinical psychologists, probably mm. the most. So, you can have different events that cause the same emotion or the same set of feelings and same set of mm. stuff. So, I once saw on a school camp. There was the difficult, self-proclaimed tough kid and we all <laughs> delighted when the captain of the rowing team in, <laughs> who was on our camp group warned this tough kid to not splash him with water mm. and then the tough kid, of course, splashed him with water and this guy just picked up the, you know, the, the bully and just threw him into the river and we all just laughed because it was, it was just obvious, right? And then, yeah. you know, another time I remember it was, um, you know, the German football team had thrashed 
Australia in the World Cup and then they subsequently got thrashed by Brazil or someone, I can't remember exactly. Mm. And I remember someone saying on social media, like, oh, what's the German word for Schadenfreuder? <laughs> so, you know, like, and so those are all examples. One of the things I came across, Amy, was this idea of deserving. So, you know, most people care about a just or a deserved outcome. You know, mm-hmm. you witness an outcome, an event, that event where there's like a deserved outcome that typically results in positive feelings, even if that entails a misfortune of others, right? Mm. So, you know, your football team winning the final over the hated opposition or watching the political party you hate get voted out, Mm. there is that positivity there. When really, when you think about it, all those politicians, you know, their careers end assigned to the waste bin of history. There's all these kinds of Blow effects. Huge ripple effects. And to a lesser extent, you know, Nickelback getting stones thrown out at them at a concert, right? Like, yeah. Because uh, their music is shit. All, all those different things. So it's like, it's when we feel like it's a deserved outcome, right? Mm. And so if the misfortune is appraised and as our desire for a just outcomes met, and then, and then that results in Schadenfreude, right? Mm. We feel like justice has been done. Yeah. But, and, but, and I think it's like, if we dislike, so this is where it's idiosyncratic. That's a fancy word for saying it sort of, it's an individual applies mm. to you. If something happens to someone that we dislike or resent, or I think is if they're a hypocrite, then I think that that's when we get it. So another great example of this is moralistic conservative politicians then being brought down by a sex scandal. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, yep. the ones that rail against, you know, you've got to be married and... And against gay marriage. Against, against you know, yeah. against homosexuality and everything. And then they've been busted having torrid love affairs or gay lovers or, you know, like mm. all sorts of stuff. There's, there's something, you know, something a bit delicious about yeah. them squirming. But then it's also a bit awful at the same time, isn't it? Exactly. You know, it's that karma-based approach, right? You know, our emotional response is based in part on how much we think they deserved it. The quote that I wanted to end on with that is, it's not the suffering of others that brings us joy, but rather the evidence of justice triumphing before our eyes. <laughs> so the idea I had was our pleasure at watching the bad in a film come to a gruesome and satisfying end, a la Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. and also Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And also, yeah. you know, I mean, if there were any other Indiana Jones films... It would fit that. It would fit that. <laughs> but there aren't any other Indiana Jones films. <laughs> What's uh, what, what did you come across? I came across some stuff around envy and comparison. So by nature, schadenfreude is a comparative emotion. It's about your enjoyment at somebody else's misfortune. You can't have it just on your own. There's a bit of an argument that it's the flip side of envy. So when we feel envy, we're in the inferior position. Someone mm. else has something better than us. Yeah. Whereas in Schadenfreude, we're in the superior position. Someone else has lost something or something bad has happened to the other person that hasn't happened to us. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of mixed research about how it might play a part or not play a part, but it has a logical kind of feeling to it of, you know, we feel better about ourselves because somebody else is in a worse position. Mm. So in reality, often their position doesn't change our own. It's just about our perception of the power shift mm. that has that satisfying element to it rather than their misfortune actually causing things to get better for us. It's yeah. Back to that same appraisal stuff. And it's, and, and it's often, particularly in movies or something, it's not that they have a fall from grace and have mm. a road to Damascus thing and kind of change. It's that something 
bad happens to them a bit. Mm. They get embarrassed in front of everybody and that seems, Mm. yeah. There was far more early research on this and then as time's gone on, it shifted more to the deserving element that you've talked about and then the next one we're going to talk about as well, the sort of in-group, out-group elements. Tell us about that. On the whole, humans really like being part of a group, like to a ridiculous point. We very quickly form beliefs that the group we're part of is better, smarter, Mm. more attractive, whatever, than another group, regardless of what that group is. Like you can put people arbitrarily in a group and say, you guys are a group A and these guys are group B and we'll come up with all these characteristics that we think that Mm, we have mm, that's mm. better than the other group. And and so Amy Amy there is not just winging that. That is actually multiple social psychology studies where they would get literally like a group of first-year uni students and go, all right, you're in group A and group B. And then, and then and often they'll kind of say to them, you're in this group because you've got blue eyes or because you've got such and such a characteristic. And it actually doesn't matter. As long as we feel like we're part of a group, we do that comparative stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that bias plays a part in this in that we not only think better of our own group, but we think that we're more deserving of positive things and less deserving of negative things happening to us and then the reverse for people in our group so if something happens to someone who's not in our group we're more likely to think they deserved it mm-hmm. if it's a negative thing we think oh yeah they must have done something wrong mm-hmm. whereas we're less likely to think that they must have done something right to deserve a positive thing yeah. we yeah. go oh no that was a fluke yeah and i, I really think about sports as you yeah. as, as as a classic you know our team is better and when you really think about it, if you've got 10 football teams, why is one more deserving than another or, or whatever? And the audience hasn't done anything to make no. that team better than the other one. I'm sure we'll get hate emails saying, well, you know, we su- I've supported the club and, you know, yeah, we pay our dues. Yeah, I wear special underwear every time yeah. I go to that game and so they win. Actually, and if you're, if you're interested in that stuff, check out, I think it's episode 13 where we talked about superstitions. Superstition. And we talked about how fans have superstitions. And and also players have superstitions. It's really it's really it's one of my favorite episodes actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that plays into there's been some research where that fans actually report more enjoyment of a rival team losing than their own team winning. Mm. <laughs> like that's more enjoyable. A little bit like you were talking about at the start, that seeing the Germans lose is more enjoyable than oh. us beating the Germans. Oh yeah, no, like knowing that the English cricket team is getting thrashed for some reason. And I'm not even a huge cricket tragic at all, like far from it. So it's really interesting. So the theory I came across was self-enhancement. So really humans have a desire for positive self-evaluation. And when we've got a desire or a need, I'm going to mix terms up. No social theorists contact us. <laughs> what, but basically when you have a drive or a need or a desire, we act to keep it. So if we've got a desire to keep ourselves safe, we will act towards it and a desire for positive self-evaluation is important for us and then so if we feel threatened then we will act to restore it or to enhance our self-evaluation so if you compare yourself to less fortunate others that actually is a route to a more positive self-view it's this sort of social comparison benefit it leads to a better evaluation of yourself it makes me think actually a little bit about, to to pathologize somebody, it's a bit of uh, what I've seen Donald Trump do, Mm. what I've seen Donald Trump do at some of his rallies, picking on someone or picking on a group, Mm. and then them saying, oh, you know, we're so much better. 
It's yeah. a bit like what you're talking about. And why that links to what I'm talking about is that if your self-evaluation is threatened, so if you see a successful person or if you're low on self-esteem or mm. I would say fragile self-esteem. So like I would say CL episode narcissistic personality disorder subtitle his majesty the baby where we talk my favorite title oh (laughs) so good um oh i don't know the let let us talk about vegetarians (laughs) and it was lettuce not lettuce (laughs) anyway that that was a good title yeah but you know i would say that donald trump's probably got fragile self-esteem yeah i wouldn't say it's i wouldn't actually say it's low i'd say Mm. it's easily punctured but yeah. then it kind of, and which is why you see these ridiculous behaviours. And the flare-ups of anger and things like that. Oh, yeah, that's it. And the, I'm going to go expose my drivers to COVID-19. Anyway, then you would tend to experience more schadenfreude towards the misfortune of others because you're really taking the delight. And so this sounds to me a bit more like an overlap with sadism. Is, yeah, is it does. I reckon. It's more pathological. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So do we finish up with the last bit of, is it okay? <laughs> to feel this emotion that you and I have both been feeling the last few days? This is a really interesting question. Mm. A lot of people, I reckon, have been grappling with this in real time. Mm -hmm. And there's been a fair bit of moralising on social media is what I've seen. It seems to be sort of a split of a group of people going, all emotion is okay and it's about what you do with it that counts. And then a group of people going, you should never get enjoyment out of somebody else's misfortune, suffering, whatever. Mm. You should feel compassion for them regardless. Yeah. See, see I, I don't reckon I've seen that split. I've seen basically people saying, we wish him well, but we hope that he learns a lesson. And then and then people just going, oh, God, I'm going <laughs> to, you're like, this is like they deserve it. But then I think there's been a huge people, a lot of people moralizing around it. So... Is it okay to feel schadenfreude? All emotions are okay. Or actually, more correctly, no emotion is neither good nor bad, mm. right? Your emotion is your emotion, right? What I want you to think about is, uh, I'll give you an analogy. There is a Vietnamese bakery near my house, right? <laughs> uh, and if I go for a run early in the morning, run past mm. it, and... Have you ever smelled that sweet bready smell? Like yes, of a... and in fact, while walking past that very bakery, you have said we're going in here and getting some of those. <laughs> they smell amazing, so now I'm aware. Yeah, but, but particularly early in the morning, right, you know, when they're really cooking, right? So, like, when you imagine it's dark, going for a run, there's this sweet bready smell. You're out, you haven't had breakfast. Yeah. And what happens in your body? As I'm talking about it, I can actually feel my mouth salivating. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, right. For other people, they might have a rumbling tummy. I can choose whether I stop and go and buy a dozen donuts and eat them Mm -hmm. or whether I go on my run and then come home and have an apple or something. I can choose to do that. Now, those choices may or may not be harder or easier for some people or in some situations, right? But my uh, physiological response is just a response. Your emotion to an event is just a response. It's what we do with it that's important. So I I would sort of say, you know, going off the deep end in terms of sadistic joy and replaying something awful that's happened and Mm. selling T-shirts about whatever it is, then 
you know, yeah, you know, maybe that's that's not so good. Mm. Uh, but, um, but that's leading into that sort of behaviour yeah. and that real relishing rather than initial emotional response. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, I, I think people have been judging their own emotions and mm. I think people have been feeling that they shouldn't be feeling that way. Why, Amy, why is it bad for people to go, oh, I shouldn't feel this way? I keep on thinking about the people who have been really badly impacted by Trump's actions Mm -hmm. and about how invalidating and negating it is for anybody to be told you shouldn't feel this way, but particularly the people who have been affected by policy stuff or direct stuff, you know, around COVID or around things to do with sexual assault or around racial things, all sorts of broad spectrum sort of decisions and impacts that he's had on people's lives. The depth of hurt that's ignored when you kind of shame someone about feeling this way Mm. really seems really damaging to me of Mm. kind of going like, you know, you have to feel compassion. You should be feeling this particular way about somebody who's hurt you. Mm. Feels quite callous and invalidating. Who hasn't shown any capacity for empathy. Um, But um, look, I I would even take a step before that, right? I mean, I think mm. that those political considerations are important, mm. but I would say that one of the key things that we do as psychologists is we validate people's emotions. Mm. So, Amy, when this happened, you felt this way. Is that true? That must have been really hard for you. That's a key, no matter what your training as is as a psychologist or a therapist or a social worker or a doctor or a psychiatrist, that validation is a key therapeutic element. And when you grow up in an environment where your feelings are invalidated, mm. when if you have a parent or a brother or a sister or an uncle or a teacher who mm. tells you that you're, the way that you're feeling is wrong or that you shouldn't be feeling a particular kind of way, you mm. know, Catholic guilt uh, is yeah. a classic one. You know, and I've worked with a number of people, older people who've immigrated to Australia from the UK and they have a whole lot of guilt and shame and shoulds about the way in which they should mm. act and, and their feelings and you're kind of like well not really it's, mm. it's, you're allowed to feel scared if you see and often you know whatever it's kind of yeah. self-perpetuating because yeah. it's kind of like you don't just feel this difficult emotion but then you feel the guilt about the difficult emotion mm. that then makes you feel worse it's kind of a yeah. and also reinforces that yeah yeah it makes it yeah, it makes it much worse. So, I mean, I, I would say that trying to deny your own feelings is is harmful. And then I think your piece, which is let's be clear-eyed about the impact that this individual and his band of C-list political hacks and mm. racists uh, have wrought upon their own country and the world. Mm. I probably should also say that, you know, you know, grifters. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, uh, not to mince words, but. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one because it's not necessarily a comfortable emotion to feel. No. Like, yes, we've talked about the pleasure element of it, but because of all of that sort of moral, social element to it, it is kind of conflicted and uncomfortable. And there is that second guessing of, oh, should I be feeling this enjoyment or not? Mm. And I was interested when we were reading some things about this that people have been arguing about this emotion for Oh so my god. Long. Yeah, like so, so Yeah, like Aristotle. Aristotle. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say yeah. <laughs> talking about that it was immoral yeah. to 
feel like this. And so I think that, like, as humans, this is something that we've been grappling with for a really long time. Yeah, this isn't this isn't a 2020 problem. Like, no, it's not. Um, was it Nietzsche? Says, oh, he says, you know, is malicious joy devilish, as Schopenhauer says. And then he replies, well, all pleasure in itself is neither good nor bad. Mm. Right? Like, yeah. more recently in 2000, Aaron Benzevev, mm. um, apologies if I've got that wrong, says that the moral evaluation should be depended upon the severity of the misfortune and extent of the person's own involvement in causing it and the justification mm. for the misfortune. It's not a vice, but it's not a virtue. And Which I, is kind of tapping into that schadenfreude versus sadism kind of yeah. element as well, just how bad it is. Yeah. And how much you were involved or not involved. Yeah. The emotion we're talking about, you're not involved. And and what's clear, uh, just to be to anyone who thinks that that Donald Trump is uh, an unwilling victim of bad circumstance, he has clearly and consistently flouted all the guidelines mm-hmm. around appropriate behaviour with a highly contagious disease, and there's. The most current thinking is that there was an event where they were announcing nominee to the Supreme Court, and at that event, there was a whole lot of people who've now become positive. And at that event, no one was wearing masks, no one was social distancing, they were hugging, they were outside, and they went inside. Now, (laughs) I work in a hospital, and I wear scrubs, I wear a mask, and I wear protective eyewear, and I have to do a survey about every time I start work, I have to do a survey about have I got any symptoms? I've had six COVID tests this year. Yeah, yeah. I've I'm lived it. from home and I still get asked those same survey questions and have to report to my workplace about if I have any of those symptoms yeah, yeah. and have to be tested and all of those sort of things. It's not something that's taken lightly. Yeah. So, I mean, so what, what's interesting as we talk about it is that I think Schadenfreude quickly runs into anger and frustration mm. and disbelief. Like I think, yeah. so you know, and I always think about anger and frustration as part of you know their common reactions to stressful, difficult circumstances. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think especially one like this where a lot of people feel powerless, mm. and it's just watching it unfold. It's this kind of frustration of we know better. We've We've learnt over this year about this disease and about what happens and about how you protect yourself the best you can. Mm. And this is flying in the face of that. Mm. And that sort of anger and whatever then gets stirred up by people supporting his behaviour or leaning into that. And it's it's such a complex thing. <laughs> like it just it's just a whirlpool of emotion, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I mean so I generally hope that the president does get better. Mm. Um, I, I, I think it would be, it would plunge America into further crisis if he got sick. Um, I'm sure his family would be upset, but also, you know, it, it would have a lot of impact, negative impact for the United States and around the world. I mean, we're far away from the United States, but what they do echoes over here. So Absolutely. Should we take a break? Yes. We'll be back with things like But as we try to widen. What am I doing? Oh, the break. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> 
I wonder where the people feel, Schadenfreude, listening <laughs> to us every time with a break <laughs> where I'm always like, come on, Amy, let's try and, let's try and uh, get this professionally done. And, you and just... I'm delighting in your discomfort. <laughs> What's really interesting, listeners, is that Amy is one of the most diligent and professional people I know. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever had the pleasure of reading one of her essays or being in a group assignment with her, wow, like I don't <laughs> put that much effort in. So to see her kind of just stir shit. So the break, I'm just going to take over. No, you can do it. You can do it. I can do it? Yep. I can do it. <laughs> the break is where we ask you to <laughs> stop smoking at me. <laughs> We have a website, twoshrinkspod.com. You can contact us at twoshrinkspod at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter. If you like our show, you can rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. See, that's how you do it, Amy. That's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. It's as simple as that. And then, you know, if you give us five stars and whatever, then I get to send text messages to Hunter going, guess what? We've gone up one point in the charts today and he gets so delighted. Mm. So, or you can send us images of your pets. Mm-hmm. Either on Twitter or on, uh, and if you listen to our last episode, 61, uh, Amy's cat, Cleo, made a surprise appearance and totally threw me off my game about halfway through the pod. She's currently asleep on the lap of a bear that she has made her own and is licking his belly every now and then. So she's living the good life. So we've we've diverted. Let's get back to it. Yeah, we can do this. Two shrink pot. As it gets wider and wider and we see a greater range of phenomena, the explanations become what we call laws instead of simple explanations. So we're back from the break. I finished my Milo, so I'm now onto some water. Mm, how exciting. I'm still on my tea. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a short things we came across. Things came across. We This is where we kind of just talk about an article that may or may not be related to anything uh, that <laughs> has caught our eye. Um, Amy, tell me, you uh, what what is your observations of people who don't wear masks correctly at the moment? <laughs> What I've noticed them yeah. doing? No, no, just what, who, like, who are they who? as a group, if you were to, you know? In, well, around the place, what I've noticed is that there's more older people who aren't wearing mm-hmm. masks. I've seen far more older men doing the nose over the top oh. of the mask thing. Yep. And then I've seen a lot of women wearing masks that sort of hang off their face in a sort of chin hammock okay. kind of yep. Oh, you know, I live in an area that's um, a real, it's a mix of students <laughs> and people who live in massive houses and then young professionals. And what I've noticed is that it's, as a general rule, it's the people who are coming out of the massive houses who yeah. aren't wearing masks or who are wearing sort of designer active wear and not wearing masks or wearing them ineffectively. Yeah, see, my... my very lazy observations has been as predominantly men mm-hmm. <laughs> and guys, uh, tough guys. And I certainly called called out a, a tough guy at work who was walking around the cafeteria with his mask half off so he could talk on the phone. Mm. Uh, and uh, he did not take kindly to my suggestion that he needed to put it back on. Right, yep. So this so lead- you're wearing your full face shield 
I wasn't wearing the face shield, but I was wearing the mask and goggles and my scrubs. So So this leads us to some COVID-19 rule breakers could be narcissists, experts say. Here's how to approach them. This is an article by Alison Chu in uh, the Washington Post. Amy, do you Mm. want to tell us about it? This article talks about how there's a whole bunch of different reasons why people might not wear masks, but that one element is that people are putting their own needs or preferences above the law or above what is expected of them by society. And there's an interview with a psychologist, I think she is, and a researcher who speaks about the idea that this indicates some level of narcissism in that it's sort of like, well, I'm special, the rules don't apply to me and I don't care about other people or about the impact on other people. So narcissism can also show up as that sort of rage and oppositionality and petulance and stuff like that that we were talking about before with Trump, which she attributes to being involved in some of those big outbursts we've seen in the media and things Mm, like that of people mm. being told they have to wear a mask and then responding by, you know, throwing things, shouting, all of the rest of it. It's that they're being told to do something and that their views are more important than what's going on around them. Yeah, and I think think people react badly to things when they, you know, might be a characterological trait, which would be narcissism, Mm. or it could be sort of a more situational kind of thing about feeling controlled and feeling Mm. threatened. And so they react and, you know, they don't, they will kind of stuff. But like, you know, people who walk around the supermarket, like I was in the supermarket this evening and yeah, like they had a mask and they just, they just were walking around without it properly on. Uh, Mm. It's just like, guys, like... Do, yeah. Like, like, why have you even got it on? Like, anyway, mm. but and also, like, just to, as an advert for one of our other episodes, we did two episodes: the Dark Triad and the Dark Tetrad. So, and those those episodes have been proven quite popular. But mm-hmm. if you're interested in narcissism, psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and sadism, check out those episodes. We kind of mm. have a really in depth discussion about some of that stuff. And it looked like from this article that there are a few different studies that have been done around the world about compliance to social distancing and mask wearing and things like that. And they're finding that those traits that we speak about in those episodes are related to less compliance mm. with these public health measures, I mean, I think, which kind of fits in. Yeah. I mean, I think it's difficult. Like I've been, I try and be very vigilant, but like mm. the other week I was really caught up in what I was doing. I was in an office and you know, I didn't have to have a mask on because I was alone mm. in, a, in a closed door office. And then I ran out to get something and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I felt, yeah. like I, felt like I didn't have any pants on. Like, you yeah. know, because you know, uh, my face was naked and like bolted back into the office to get my mask. Um, I did the same taking the rubbish out the other night. Like I was just getting everything organized and then got halfway down the stairwell in my apartment building and went, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so it's, back inside. you know, so I mean, I think, I think it's important to not pathologize people mm. uh you know they might genuinely not realize or it might have slipped off and they might not have realized or something although mm. i would say months into a pandemic i don't i don't i have a very low bar for people's excuses nowadays but yeah i think there's particularly in uh victoria there's been so much messaging about wearing masks but then also the right way to wear them mm. that it's been daily and it's it's everywhere. It's in so many different mediums that it would be hard not to know that information. Yeah. At this I point. Mean, so I mean, let's change the topic to something a little more fun. 
I was having a chat with someone about job interviews and things like that. Mm. And um, we were trading stories around job interviews. I think I actually swore one time in a job interview and I actually got the job. Nice. What was was the job for? uh, I was like a cinema worker or something. And and I said, oh, yeah, like, oh, you know, it was fucking great or something. I don't know, whatever it was. Anyway, I got the job. It was with, and I think the general manager of the site was interviewing me anyway. Um, but this, this, this guy uh, went up to me. I always love a good one up where he, he's like, he's like, he was being interviewed in front of a panel. He, he said he was probably mid 20s, just out of uni. There was a jug of water and he was pouring himself a glass of water in front of this panel of people and mm. dropped the entire jug of water and then and then oh, amazing <laughs> and, the, and then they made him they said yeah there's paper towel if you can just go down the hall and get the paper towel and you can clean that up no way yeah and so he then had to come back and like clean it up in front of them and then they continued with the interview and there's like a drip drip off the edge of the table <laughs> He, he didn't get the job. He said, "I, I don't reckon I would. I reckon I just would have left. I reckon yeah. I, I reckon I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go get the paper towel. <laughs> I reckon I just, I reckon, probably as a younger person I wouldn't have, but probably as an older person I probably I just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. Yeah, I'll, 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 um, I'll see you later. Yeah, bye. <laughs> have you ever had, you've uh, had job interview horror stories? I mean, none as bad as that, really. No, they've. They've been uncomfortable, yeah, but none, none as bad as that. They've been sort of uncomfortable, awkward. I had, I had two interviews at the same time, and then I got a call afterwards from one of them that I wanted, and I accepted it. Mm. So then I rung the other place to say that I was withdrawing my application, and I had the woman lose it at me and say that I was making the biggest mistake of my life. But that was. <laughs> That was more bizarre. You don't know how good I am. <laughs> it, was sort of a... I, it was just really odd. Like she just kept on asking me, are you sure? You're definitely making the biggest mistake of your life. Oh, what was the job? What were the two jobs? They were both psychology jobs. Yeah, right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interviews are strange, strange things. Anyway, so if, you, if you've if you got an interview horror story uh, and you'd like to share it with us, uh, pod at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be... We'll be back soon with a topic yet to be determined. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Yeah.